Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. I started doing this show in about 2012 with the goal of taking an open-minded and rational look at ideas and theories that went beyond our normal way of looking at things. Science and religion currently define the normal and accepted way of looking at things. The ideas coming from these two fields feel comfortable, though few people actually know them, much less understand them. And that is the ideas coming from science and religion. We tend to take these ideas on faith. Ideas that go beyond science and religion are in many instances considered to be outliers, strange, woo-woo, the product of quacks, or any number of other sort of intellectual insults. But I have found in my own research and from reading countless books on the topic that when we turn the inquiry, our critical rationality against the big accepted ideas, such as, for example, the Big Bang or dark matter, that these ideas themselves become suspicious. So the idea here is to apply our rationality against new ideas, but to, but to also keep in the back of our mind that science and religion themselves are based upon ideas that don't always hold water. I've been fortunate to have many of the world's cutting edge thinkers on this show. Uh, and for those who have listened, I hope in some ways that your view of the world has been expanded after taking sort of an extended sabbatical from the show and thinking that uh, it was time to shut it down. My producer made the point to me that many of the topics I've covered in the show are not as radical as they were seven years ago. To me, this tends to support the truth of an underlying theme to virtually all of the open-minded thinkers, philosophers, scientists over time, and that is that the movement of history is towards open-mindedness, consciousness raising, not closed-mindedness. If the current ideas and religion do not fully contain the everlasting truth, then the mind, I think, will stretch beyond these fields until it eventually reaches the truth. So this is what I hope to be a new series of updated shows. Are all the ideas on the show true? Not necessarily. Is this zone free of woo-woo, new age, or quack uh, thinking? Probably not. Do some ideas consist of more wishful thinking than provable theory? Probably. But unless we expose ourselves to, the to these theories, we will never know the truth. So today we're going to talk about a rich and interesting topic with one of its leading investigators. And the topic is crop circles. And I've entitled this show, The Enigma of Crop Circles. My guest today is Lucy Pringle, who is kind enough to be joining us from the UK. Now crop circles to me are very simple. 
Either they are signs of some intelligent, invisible force in the universe, or they are simply fake. If you've never seen a crop circle, I suggest that you take your phone and Google crop circles. They consist of intricate patterns carved into farm fields, mostly in the countryside of England, but in fact, as Lucy uh, shows in her new book, crop circles have been reported around the world, including in the US. Now, Lucy is one of the world's leading crop circle photographers and researchers. Her photos have been used worldwide on TV, films, books, and magazines. She is recognized as an international expert on crop circles and has been a guest on the BBC and Meridian TV and the BBC World Service, and has also appeared on William Gazeki's Crop Circles, Quest for Truth, as well as the Discovery, Learning, and History channels. She's author of the book called Crop Circles, The Greatest Mystery of Modern Times, She's currently working on, on a medical research team investigating the temporary relief of Parkinson's disease. Uh, and she's also, and this is what brings us to today, she's also the author of the new book in front of me. It's called The Energies of Crop Circles, The Science and Power of the Mysterious Intelligence. Lucy, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm fine, and I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's, it's nice uh, that you have... Uh, taken some of your time out. I know that uh, as part of your research, you're sort of on call. Is that is that correct? That at any time you might get a report of a crop circle? Is that correct? Well, exactly. Yes, I do. I do. I get, I get a, a first-hand report uh, from, from uh, a website, friends of mine who run the oldest website, the Crop Circle Connector, and they get in touch with me right away. So, Let's, let's start a little bit in the background here, which is how did you get interested in crop circles? Well, I think I've always been interested in the unexplained right from the time I was a child when um, I saw wonderful pictures in a book of, of colored birds, beautifully colored birds. And I was in the nursery at that time and I asked my nurse, my, my, my nanny, where what about these birds? I couldn't read at the time, so I must have been very young because I read quite early. And she said, oh, those are birds of paradise. And I said, oh, how lovely. Where's paradise? And she didn't know. And this was quite a shock to me. And so I asked my governess. She didn't know. And we were brought up in rather a Victorian sort of way we were allowed down to see our parents every evening. And um, that was quite a daunting, a daunting time of day for us, my sister and I. And um, one evening I, I summoned up, up enough courage to ask the parents, where was paradise? And they didn't know. Now that was such a shock because all adults were supposed to know everything. And I was just a child. And so I decided that when I grew up, I would find paradise and I'd take everybody there. <laughs> well, you know, I think sometimes you find paradise momentarily, but it's sort of very mercurial, mercurial, mercurial and it disappears again. 
And I think my next one was Loch Ness Monster. Then my next one was Einstein's Theory of Relativity, which I never fully understood. Then I came across Infinity. Now, that was a big blow to me. I, I couldn't believe that um, Infinity wasn't finite at some very <laughs> distant point. And then, of course, the crop circles arrived, and that was just ghastly. I couldn't <laughs> find the explanation to that. That almost drove me round the bend. And <laughs> as time progressed, and I did my research, and I met lots of people, and um, I, I came to the conclusion that certain things, there's no explanation for them at all. They are ineffable. So I decided I felt quite comfortable with now with them now that we will never get all the answers and infinity doesn't matter anymore and all the other things that bothered me don't matter anymore. They, I've accepted that certain ones have to be beyond the wit of man, beyond our current, current knowledge or understanding and we may never find the answer and that's fine. Well, it, it, that's a, I mean, one of my themes of this show of, of today's show is that is, is sort of exactly that we may not ever find out what the origin source of crop circles are but we could say the same thing about the universe at large yes that, there's so much to learn isn't there it's, it's really it's really not much different than the way we confront the mystery of, of existence without without overstating it but let's let's do something here for a second to make sure we give the listeners some context what are crop circles well they're depressions in the in the field and what is particularly um, striking about them is the neat cutoff point between the standing crop and the fallen crop and you get all sorts of um, different patterns inside these uh, circular or sometimes triangular uh, uh, events. I, I came in when my two boys, my two sons had left home and suddenly, you know, instead of looking after people, you suddenly find that, oh, there's what they call the emptiness syndrome. Yeah. And I realized I had time for myself. And as I mentioned, I've always been interested in the unexplained I was living in Hampshire at the time and still am. And the early, well, some of the uh, recent, more early recent ones, because they go back a long, long way um, into the dim and distant past, um, they were happening all around me. And I became fascinated. And I was asked to become a founder member of the first academic society because one or two people thought, well, now this is such a subject now that really needs proper intellectual examination. And I came in as a dowser or a diviner, and which I still do as well. And that was how I joined the society. And there were scientists and there were all sorts of different people from different fields of, of, of expertise. Well, the... The uh, book that you just published, The Energies of Crop Circles, which I'm going to say has some amazing uh, photographs of crop circles. And for, those, and for those who think that uh, crop circles are made by wayward um, folks with lawnmowers, 
or bar stools or planks, whatever the theory is. And look at some of these photographs and try to uh, rationally conclude that the intricate designs in these fields is, is made by a, a bunch of sort of uh, uh, delinquents or a bunch of uh, hoaxers uh, spending their, their evenings drawing intricate designs in farm fields. So the photographs are unbelievable, which is why I think this is one area where pictures speak a thousand words. Just saying the word crop circle doesn't mean much until you see the actual uh, designs and the intricacy of how these things are put together. Now, the, the scientific view of these, and we might as well draw the dichotomy here because I think this is important. There's an article in Scientific American that you may or may not have seen because it's, it's probably uh, it's been reported elsewhere. Uh, it's from August 2002, as I said, and it's called Crop Circle Confession by this guy, Matt Ridley, who basically confesses that he, he has made some crop circles. And so I think that the scientific community reads an article like this uh, it's very similar to the kinds of things that are done in the paranormal. We have folks exposing some hoaxers, and all of a sudden, everything is considered to be a hoax. So, you know, all accounts of paranormal or the paranormal are all considered to be fraudulent because there's one person that actually did generate a hoax. So I'd like to have you address this question of how you deal with folks who think it's all a hoax. Well, there are definitely man-made ones, and it was Matthew Ridley—not Ridley. It was Matthew Williams, who uh, made the circle, and he still makes circles. But if anybody would like to go onto my website and go into my photographs of this year, I've put up one which somebody called Dean Hine, I think it is, he made, and you'll be able to compare. I've put it up because I wanted people to be able to compare the difference between the man-made and the genuine. Uh, what, is, what is particularly interesting is that many of the press, they, they pontificate, and they've never even been into a circle. And they don't know anything about it, but they just like it. It's sort of, I don't know what it is exactly. It's as though there's some force behind this, some who are telling them um, some agency or something that they have got to <clears throat> ridicule this phenomenon and uh, give the impression to the public that they are all man-made. Well, I know very well they're not, but what are the press frightened of? Are they, are they being threatened by the powers that be? Um, are they frightened of this phenomenon? What is it that they feel so reluctant to actually tell the truth on both sides? And I sent up a scientific paper a couple of years ago. None of the people I sent it up to in the press wanted to know about it. It's not on their agenda. Uh, they have to put out endless, endless stories about man-made ones. And um, so it's, uh, this, is, this is where you are. Well, I, yeah, I think that that, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I thought that was very well put, Lucy, because in my 
uh, thinking on this topic here. The topic being experiences, phenomena that stretch our understanding of the world, that a lot of it is sociological or psychological as opposed to fact-based. A lot of folks, I mean, and I, and I think we're seeing this uh, all over the place with things like the multiverse, Darwin's theory of evolution. I could go on and on with uh, the inflationary Big Bang, things that people believe must be true to be sane, even though they don't understand them. And so things that contradict those, those uh, scientific theories, the materialistic theories, must be wrong despite the evidence. And so I really, I really think there's a certain amount of, of, of sociological theory or, 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 or uh, peer pressure here. I, I can tell you one example, which was really, really quite striking. Uh, I don't know if I can name, you, you named one of the uh, papers or something in America. I don't know if I can name this, but um, you can cut it out if you, if you don't want it. It was the National Geographic. And now that is the headquarters are in America. Right. Uh, well, I had done one one interview with the with the National Geographic uh, many years ago, and and I'd said at the time, uh, who else are you interviewing? Because I, if they interview the hoaxers, then they give the hoaxers prime time. So I, they said, oh, nobody else but you, Lucy. And so I did the interview, but they asked me very superficial questions and very trite questions. I couldn't get over it. This is supposed to be a serious mag magazine and, uh, or program. And I said to them afterwards, uh, you know, I, 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 did, I wasn't really happy with that. And then a, a crop circle, which was not a very brilliant one, appeared close by. And I rang through to the producer and I said, has this got anything to do with you? And she said, yes, yes, um, we've got the farmer to allow somebody to make it. <laughs> so I said, that is in absolutely against our agreement in every way. Yeah. And she said, oh, don't worry, Lucy. You, you'll be quite happy when you see the, the video, the program. When I saw the program, and I was given half a minute, and the man-made people, the hoaxers, were given two and a half minutes. Yeah. So I wrote a scathing article and put it up on my website. Yeah. And the next thing that happened with them, <clears throat> several of us were asked to take part in an experiment and or be an interview. And I think other people uh, had had bad uh, experiences. So we all said no. Well, a friend of mine who lives in Holland, he was walking past Silbury Hill one night because they, they nearly all appear at night. And he saw lights across the road by West Kennet Long Barrow. So he walked up and he found the producer and he said, oh, what's happening? And she said, oh, we're making something. We're, uh, men are making a circle for the National Geographic. So uh, my friend said, oh, that's interesting. So he went over to where these men were with their boards and things. And when he got there, he was absolutely amazed because what they were doing was simply walking round a circle that had appeared two weeks before. Now, the way that film was shot, the whole world thought those men had made it. 
I mean, how shameful can you get? Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's what is going on there. And we're of the same mind is that it's, it's as if you, if you're part of the establishment, now I'm going to say something radical here. If you're part of the establishment, it's okay to mislead people because you're misleading them for something considered to be a good cause and that cause being science. And unfortunately, our current scientific worldview is mindless and purposeless. And therefore, anything that suggests the presence of an intelligence must therefore be uh, quackery or intelligent design or creationism. And then, of course, we'll go to the most wild, you know, they use the most wild uh, explanations such as Bigfoot did it or some flying saucer did it, which, which is just a way of, of ridiculing uh, a, the, the, uh, the uh, authors or the investigators. And also it doesn't advance the discussion. Uh, now, I'm going to say a couple of things here that are, that are more positive here. I did my own research and just a couple things first. I think it's healthier to approach something like crop circles. And you could say the same thing about the paranormal. You know, I don't want to talk about UFOs or Bigfoot right now because I put those in a little different category. But what you can do is you can assume that, that crop circles are real, that they're not human made, and that therefore there's some mystery to them. Or you could just assume that they're all fake, okay? Just, just, by, just by hypothesis. And if you assume that, they, they're, that they're real, that there is some other force working in the cosmos, you start, I think you reach a richer view of the world. To assume that they're all fake, I think, you have to be extremely closed-minded, pessimistic, and, and also afraid of mystery. The, you also, and, and one last thing, you have to ignore the evidence. And I did um, call up your website, and I think I have your website here. You can give it to the listener, Lucy. Why don't you give it to the listener while we're on the phone? Here's, it's lucyfrangle.co.uk. Right. Okay, so the point being, it's, it's yeah, cropcircles.lucyfrangle.co.uk. And the point is, is that for the listener to call up her photographs her, uh, on you know, during the show or after the show and exactly what we've been talking about um, is in front of you, which is that these, these crop circles, particularly um, some of them are, are works of art. They're not, they're not somebody with a lawnmower, um, a giant lawnmower sort of out of control because at last I looked there, there weren't a lot of people who could, who could make intricate designs following uh, mathematical uh, symmetry uh, using a lawnmower. But, but be that as it may, I think the open-minded investigation is to keep the options open. Now, the good news is that I did do some research on this, and I'm just going to read one quote from, this is an academic uh, online um, service called The Conversation. And this is what they say. They say, despite claims by circle makers that they are human made, the sheer size and complexity of the circles belies a 100% human made explanation. According to researchers at the conference, hoaxers 
when questioned about how they were able to make 80 or so perfectly round circles without breaking or snapping cereal st stalks, are unable to produce the patterns and ignore the researchers' questions. Okay, so this is a scientific blog online basically saying what you're saying. Well, exactly. That's it. I mean, we've had people saying, oh, we can do this, and we asked them to do it, and they turned out they couldn't. Right. Uh, just read you something about <clears throat> a, a formation that appeared last year at a place called Martin's Earl Hill in Wiltshire. And a friend of mine is a mathematician and a geometer, and he has been drawing up the circles after they've appeared. And this particular one took him three days to draw up. And he wrote, I've been drawing the circles now for nearly 30 years, and I was astonished by the skill and precision embodied in Martin Sell Hill. It is, in my view, one of the top 10, maybe five formations we have received. It contains 28 pentagrams and 140 precisely formed isosceles triangles, each with a prime angle of 36 degrees, which automatically generates the golden section. Any suggestion that this meticulous and majestic crop formation might be man-made is bizarre to the point of lunacy. Yes, yes, and that I think that's another uh, very good way to put it, but let's move, to, well, it's nice that some people who are rational, intelligent, which in, hopefully includes the two of us, are being open-minded about these crop circles. I mean, I did not know much about them, and your, your book, um, which was sent to me, really opened my eyes, and as, as I said before, it was really the, the photographs that did it for me. But the one point that really remains mysterious that may lend some, some, I would, some evidence for how they arise is in your book, there you um, summarize the eyewitness accounts of the formation of crop circles. In fact, the eyewitness accounts are very scant, right? There's not, there's, I mean, no one's ever photographed or videoed a crop circle being made, right? No, they haven't because I don't think they've ever thought one's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Unless you have, yeah, that, that's a, a good surprise. point. That's uh, a good point. Well, I, you know, and to me that, that, that says something. And again, this is in uh, Lucy's book that she's had an appendix, which talks about, which summarizes the eyewitness accounts. And they're, and I would call, I would call them sketchy, but to me that doesn't, that doesn't answer the question because I think you could say the same thing about your bird of paradise, for example, which is where did the colorful bird of paradise come from? And actually you could say the same thing about the world at large. I mean, I actually analogize crop circles to constellations, to constellations in the sky. Well, I can assure you, you've got to, they've got an awful lot to do with the heavens and the, and the cosmos, as yeah. is written by scientist James Young. And I think not all scientists are blinkered or uh, difficult. James, James is uh, retired, and he is now, <clears throat> having retired, he can put down things that he, he thinks without necessarily... Uh, he, I mean, he's a mainstream scientist, an absolutely first-class mainstream scientist, but he can now think outside the box 
without the fear of scorn from his uh, right. his, his uh, um, peer or peer reviews and things, he's now free to think as he wants. So he thinks outside the box, and it's well worth reading some of his comments at the end of each of my chapters because they put into scientific language what I have actually been talking about. I mean, this is a, this is a scientific subject. Uh, please uh, don't, don't think otherwise. It's a beautiful subject. It's an artistic subject. And as somebody said, it's probably the best form of art that's appeared in the last two centuries. Uh, but at the same time, in order to make this subject credible, I realized I have to go on to the scientific side because people won't pay any attention unless it, there's science to it. Well, I think that uh, James uh, Lyons, his comments are good. And I do think that, uh, you know, a scientific explanation would be helpful. To me, we, we often misuse the word scientific explanation. What we, what we really mean by that term is a logical, rational explanation. Because in many instances, what we call, and this is just me, this is just my own opinion here, but what we call a scientific explanation is, a sci is an explanation within the paradigm of current materialistic modern science. So modern science always wants some kind of force field, some kind of particle, some kind of physical um, force to create anything. When when our current scientific paradigm is asked the question of about how design is possible, that's where things start falling apart for them. And that is to me the biggest uh, sort of message from the new era here is that I do think that more and more people are asking the question, science is great, but they can't explain design. And that goes all the way from, you know, well, James can, James yeah. can, yeah. and yeah. he's way ahead of his time, yeah. and he works with a lot of people who are also retired. They work together, they collaborate, and they're doing absolutely fantastic work. Yeah, well, one of the things that I see in, I think he, it was his comment, this thing about uh, the oneness in cosmic consciousness, the chapter of the book, and I think that was, let's see, that was your chapter. And then maybe he commented upon that because that kind of, see, I personally think, okay, here, yeah, okay, I personally think that we need to expand what we call science to include things like cosmic consciousness or intelligence or, or the mind and all this, this whole thing. This is, this is what my whole, my whole um, sort of uh, makeup is, is to expand science to include an intelligent element that's not part of what is known as intelligent design. I think maybe we'll come around to it. At the moment, that's regarded as, uh, even though you can prove that certain things are happening, uh, it's still known as a uh, soft science, if you like. Yeah. And um, so that hasn't actually become what you might say is established mainstream, but I think it will do. You know, I think people's thoughts are starting to open and expand and I, I feel encouraged when there are people like James around and other people who are doing a tremendous amount of work on the universe. 
and of course he links up crop circles to the universe and right. it, it's exciting stuff um yeah. it, it it really is and I, I well as regards um my research as i think you mentioned um i'm looking into the investigating the temporary relief of parkinson's right. <laughs> and if our research can in any way help mainstream science in this most unfortunate condition then i feel that will be testament to the crop circles alone and i'm working with uh, somebody called paul gary who's an advanced clinic clinical physiologist from devon and exeter hospital um bringing in mainstream science and we're getting extraordinary results yeah. uh, from the tremor tests from the writing test handwriting tests before and after we do two control tests one before and one after and the, the the test in the actual crop circle all three are identical and then we they can be uh, analyzed and they can be examined and analyzed and we can produce the results and last summer we didn't have time which i didn't have time to put in the book um we were testing the eye movements of parkinson's as against normal people and they have what is called something called a saccadic eye movement, which means that if they're following a moving object, such as a pendulum, um, their eye movement is all jumpy and jagged, whereas ours is a very smooth curve. Well, when we went into the crop circle, we repeated the test, and the results afterwards for the Parkinson sufferer was absolutely dramatic. It was as though she didn't have Parkinson's, where it was perfectly obvious from the first control test that she did. Yeah, I think I think that, and I want to talk about the sort of the healing benefits uh, in a second here. I want to read I want to read one quote from your book to close off our point about this whole paradigm issue and James Lyons. And your quote is: "It is clearly being revealed that the dominant paradigm will, in due course, be seen to be holistic, implying the connectivity of everything, the interaction of our intent." with the cosmos is already reestablishing itself as a major factor in our overall understanding of how the universe functions. Okay, so this is from your own book, and, and my point being here that using crop circles as an example, it, do, it is revealing the need to expand our existing paradigm for how we understand the world. And, and so, that's to me the what makes it interesting and makes it it makes it sort of something that cannot be ignored now going to the parkinson's this is a very sort of an interesting and i would call this really um dramatic or or uh almost radical sort of a finding that you you have uh case studies in your book about how indeed folks who go into crop circles are in some cases healed. I'd like to have you talk just a little bit about how you discovered this, and then you could um, talk a little bit more about the Parkinson's, which is very interesting. But how did you come upon learning the health benefits of the crop circles? 
all these things happen by chance, you know, and yet yeah. you say to yourself, what is coincidence? No, I don't think coincidence exists. I think these are actually meant to happen. Yes. Well, a friend of mine had Parkinson's, in fact, still has. And in 1996, I went to visit her and we were chatting about the crop circles and my work. And she said, oh, I'd love to go into a crop circle. And I said, well, I'm, I, I really can't take you because uh, as well as feeling wonderful, people actually can feel really very ill. And I said, you're not well. So I, I really can't take you. And she begged and pleaded. And I said, well, all right, I'll, 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 I'll tell you what I do. Next summer, if I can find a really almost entirely beneficial one, um, I'll let you know. Well, one appeared called the Taurus Knot in um, July 1997. And I went down from Hampshire. I went down every day for a week. And I went into this circle for a week every day. And I felt fine. And I stood at the edge of the field. The farmer let it was, it was open for visitors. And I gathered information from everybody who came out. Uh, incidentally, I've got the largest database of reports of what happens to people inside the circle or in the vicinity of circles or even what happens to them when they see them on the screen because what is happening, they're giving off vibrations just like um, Pythagoras taught us, music and number, because um, they're shaped with the, the geometry gives off resonances energies, frequencies. So this was what is happening. So I got over 800 reports and I'm aiming for a thousand. <laughs> mm. Getting there slowly. Um, anyway, I said to Mary, I think this is the crop circle for you. And she went in with a friend and she told me that they sat in the center for not very long, 25, 30 minutes, but mind you, as you lose time, she may have sat there for much longer. So I don't know, I wasn't there. But anyhow, she stopped shaking. And she stopped shaking, not just for a few minutes, a few seconds, a few minutes, she stopped shaking for 24 hours. Now, that doesn't happen when you've got Parkinson's. It just yes. simply doesn't happen. And she, then it reverted, she, the shaking came back. But she also she, she had this wonderful feeling of, of, um, of peace and well-being, which lasted a long time, a noticeable uh, feeling of peace and well-being. So that set me on my track to investigate Parkinson's. And we were using a diagnostic machine which uh, Professor William Tiller of Stanford University said was the best diagnostic machine available. And we were testing people by putting on uh, electrodes and measuring their uh, frequencies. And we found that one time, this is when the, the technology improves and our methodology improved too. You know, it's, a very, it's a process of evolution. And uh, we found one year when the technology had improved sufficiently, that Parkinson's sufferers was, was spiking. The, the, the graph was showing they were spiking in the gamma level of brain activity. Well, 
gamma level is between, I think it's 34 to 72 hertz per second. So I didn't know anything about gamma. I know a certain amount about delta, theta, beta, um, alpha, beta, but I knew nothing about gamma. So I read copiously on the internet and I found a little paragraph in one article saying, in the gamma state of brain activity, the brain naturally produces dopamine. Now, dopamine, as you sure you know, is the main chemical that is uh, missing in, in Parkinson's sufferers, and Parkinson's sufferers are given synthetic do dopamine. And another time after giving a talk in Hampshire, somebody gave me the name of a neurologist in, um, in the Midlands, he, and they said, call him up. Well, <laughs> I don't have any letters after my name. <laughs> and you know, as, as you, we've discussed, uh, crop circles have a very bad name due to the press. So it took me two weeks to be brave enough to summon enough courage to ring this, this scientist, this neurologist. And eventually I did. I felt very brave one morning. And before the, the brave feeling wore off, I thought, grabbed the telephone. And I got him. I got him immediately. And I, I started right away. I didn't... I, on crop circles, I didn't give him time to say anything when I said I'm researching crop circles, and then I said, And about halfway through, he said, Lucy, this is really very interesting because he said, We're following exactly the same line of research as you are hmm. because we find that if we raise the Parkinson sufferer, sufferer's level of brain activity into the gamma stage, it inhibits their dyskinesia, i.e. it stops their shaking. Hmm. But I knew what was going to follow. He said, I'm very sorry, I can't work with you, Lucy. And I knew he couldn't. He was sponsored by the Wellcome Trust, and goodness knows how many others. He would have lost his funding. Right. Right, yeah. Well, that's, that's um, you know, a, a very interesting story on a couple levels i i Thank think that the press. Yeah, yeah sorry yeah well it, it just seems to me it comes down to the same thing which is that if you choose to ignore the unexplained mysteries uh in, a, in our world you're sort of you're sort of limiting your own perspective and i think your own lives i mean i think that it bothers me when quote unquote mainstream scientists won't look at the evidence or, or afraid to because of the effect on their careers. And I think that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a couple quotes from leading scientists on that, on this, on this dilemma, which we don't um, really need to talk about right now because, because it goes to the same point. If you are, if your career depends upon accepting a certain paradigm, it is a career limiting move. To open your mind but then again we need people to open their minds to expand our worldview and luckily we have people like you out there who are um, on the case so to speak the the photographs do not lie they need to be explained and I think that the explanation is that there is mysteries there's mysteries in the world that we will never solve I think that's the mystery I mean it, as as you were talking, I was and looking at these photographs, I was really thinking of snowflakes, because aren't snowflakes similar? They're intricate designs. Every you know we're you know, we're taught when we're young. Every snowflake is different. 
well, how in the heck does the design of snow, how in the heck are the designs of snowflakes put together? Where do those come from? And every single one is different. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very similar thing, which is that at the root of our world, there is a artistic design. There was somebody who, I don't know if it was in your book or um, the research I did, who used the word playful, that the designer or the or the whatever is caused uh, creating these crop circles is play is playful. Well, that that to me is a pretty good explanation right there, um, and it's it's part of the what I would call the enchantment um, of the world we live in. Now, the the one the one question I, I want to ask you before we we wrap things up here, and I, I'm curious about which is have you ever seen a partially formed crop circle that, that clearly was not man-made, but have you, but have you, in, in your experience, are they always like a artistic whole? Um, well, I, I've never seen one, a genuine one that is, have been partially, yeah. <laughs> partially made. No, no, I haven't. I don't think it's in the nature of the phenomenon to be perfectly honest but i think maybe we should have a little talk about some of the healing things don't you yeah yeah yes yeah once you continue once you talk about about the other examples of positive healing effects because um just as you get people feel very ill at times and i always advise people if they don't feel well uh to come out right away they there have been some really wonderful um, healing examples um, mostly they've been temporary but um, some of them have been permanent there was one oh, many many years ago in 2001 it was in canola and I took friends into the circle and I was burying little bottles of water which I can tell you more about because that was fascinating <clears throat> inside and outside the circle and then they're compared and we see the difference um, but when I was inside the circle, uh, I was bending down, examining things, and other people were bending down. And one of the people said, oh, that hurt. Uh, hmm. She said, I've, I've got a collarbone, a broken collarbone. And I said, oh, right. And then as she came out, she, she felt very, very much better. And she went to her physiotherapist. And it was a different physiotherapist because her usual one was on holiday. And the physiotherapist, this particular one, said, but you haven't got a broken collarbone. Hmm. And Colette said, oh, I have, she said. Uh, I, I have, I have, but it's feeling much better. And this, um, the physiotherapist said, well, right, let's look at the X-ray. And they looked at the X-ray. And when you break your collarbone, apparently you're left with a little lump afterwards. Well, Colette didn't have any lump. <laughs> and yet on the x-ray, it showed that she had broken her collarbone. So mm. the evidence was there that the originally she did have a broken collarbone. And afterwards, she had no vestige of evidence to say she ever had. And then there was another lovely one. Yeah, that's, an amazing, that's an amazing story. Okay, go ahead. That's, that's, I, I, love, I love these stories because... Uh, anything that heals the human body that uh, avoids um, invasive surgery 
or, or, uh, or the cures of, of some of the cures of, of medical science I'm a fan of. So also have this wonderful feeling of oneness when we go in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're very reserved people in England. Yeah. As, as I often say, tell the story, people can go up on the same train, maybe for 25 years in the same carriage with the same people. And as soon as they get in, they dive behind their Times or their Telegraph paper, and they don't even know. They, they might they sort of give a cursory uh, good morning, <coughs> and that's it. They don't even name know the names of the people who've been sitting yeah. <laughs> for years and years and years. Yeah. And yes, when we go into crop circles, this is this extraordinary feeling of oneness, and we find we're all chatting away, and it's it's it's, it's absolutely wonderful, and um, it does. I mean, it's it's quite quite against the norm uh, of English people. But it's, it's one of the really, really beneficial aspects. Um, another uh, wonderful case was of a friend again who had, it had a, a skiing accident and when he was young. And he'd been skiing as a young man and, and had damaged his, his neck very badly. He hadn't broken it. But over the years, he'd been, been to doctors, he'd been to specialists. And over the years, it got uh, progressively worse to the stage that when this event happened, he could only sleep on one side of his head on a special pillow. Well, this was the year when we had organic, lot of organic uh, shaped, wonderful crop circles. And there was one that was shaped like a hummingbird. Hmm. And that has many wonderful meanings, this uh, hummingbirds. And anyhow, he went in there, and as he was sitting there, he found that his neck no longer hurt. He couldn't believe it after all the years of increasing pain and discomfort, and the steps he had to try and take to alleviate it. To his absolute amazement, he was fine. And I've been in touch with him regularly since then, and he's still absolutely amazing and absolutely free of pain. So that's a, those two are permanent ones, but very often they're just temporary. Well, I, I think that the whole, I think that this whole area, which is, which I suspect, Lucy, is, is a very new area of study in terms of the healing or health effects of crop circles, but it really opens a door to, uh, the complexity of the mystery or the multi or, or the multi-level nature of the mystery and in your book you talk about uh energy and in fact the the name of your the title of your book is the energies of crop circles and i don't think there's anybody from any scientific um, discipline that would disagree with the idea that the physical world is full of energy is is you know the whole einstein equation um uh, energy equals uh mass times the speed of light squared that matter equals energy at high speeds the question always is what is the source of the energy and that's where the mysteries abound and if you're saying and what i would say if done a son of a, a speculative 
um, jaunt, I would say that if there is an energy to the cosmos, then it's a positive energy. It's got something to do with creation and crop circles are sort of a unique um, worldly phenomena that has unique energies and therefore they do, you know, um, in, uh, inject positive energy, force fields, whatever scientific term you want to use into folks that deal with them. I mean, I could accept that. And I think that's sort of what you're saying. That's what I, that's the way I would put it. I mean, I just think that it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting thing. It's also something that is positive. It's, it's a favorable interpretation. And I always uh, look at folks that, that sort of uh, looked on their noses at things like crop circles or the paranormal, precognitive dreams, synchronicity, all these things. And I'm thinking, well, if these events are real and they make your life better, then what's the problem? You know, what's, what is the problem? Why, why would we dismiss these these phenomena, if they're if they show that if they have a positive benefit and they show the richness of the world we live in, so I think it's really a cool thing. I mean, obviously, one thing that's good about your book, another thing, it's that you have scientific researchers doing this. You're not just waving your hands and saying, "Oh, look, this person's healed." You 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 point to X-rays and to medical testing. Yes. Oh, indeed, it's essential to go down that uh, that. Uh, yes. uh, Avenue, if you want to be considered seriously, right? And and this is a subject which does need to be taken seriously. And I just wish more people would would do that. And and I wish I could get more support because it's you know it's all very expensive. I wish I could get more funding and support yeah. uh, to continue this because it is a, I think it's of great importance to the medical world and to mankind. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's, it's something which I think cannot be ignored. The interesting thing is, crop circles mean absolutely nothing to some people. They can walk past and they hardly even see them. And it, it, they only speak to certain people. You know, I wouldn't be here after 30 years if I didn't really believe that there was something uh, serious going on. And due to my scientific work, I feel that is a is a very valuable proof that we are dealing with a, a phenomenon which me needs more explanation. Yeah, well, I'm I'm with you because I could see the struggle in overcoming the the scientific the mainstream resistance. But as we uh, come to the end of the show is there anything else you'd like to add you i think you've given your website already is there i have and I, if any yes thank you for that phil if anybody would like to buy a book this would help my research from my website and also i would be very happy to sign it for them okay that, that that's really cool and her book is published by destiny books out of rochester vermont and it's worth it even just for the color photographs, it's worth it. But there's also a lot of um, what I would call insightful narrative, both from Lucy and from James Lyons in this book. And it's, I think what makes it unique is not, it's not just uh, one of these sort of far out um, expositions of an un unexplained phenomena. They really go out of their way to uh, look at the scientific basis for crop circles. 
So at the end here, uh, I think it comes down to are crop circles real or fake? Do they, do they uh, unveil, unveil a mystery to the world or are they the product of hacks? We could say the same thing about the universe at large. Is it the product of design, some intelligent mind, or is it a random creation? It seems to me that if you accept the proposition that a mind of some sort is behind creation, it is no large step to conclude that crop circles are just another sign, along with thousands of others, of others, of design and purpose in the universe. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you, Lucy, for your time, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.